0: Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini.
1: Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I am so excited for you guys today to hear Kelly McGonigal. And Kelly just spoke at our recent success tour in San Diego, and people just loved her Her presentation. If you've had a chance to read her book, The Upside of Stress, Kelly is a health psychologist, brilliant lady. Her TED Talk, if you've never seen it, to over 19 million views. Fantastic stuff. And that was actually how I first came in contact with you, Kelly. And I'm delighted to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining me.
2: Well, thanks for having me. And I have to say that that event was the most fun event I've been to in years. You have such an incredible community. And it was amazing. That's great. I'm still on a high from that.
1: Well, they loved your stuff and they were taking copious notes. It's just a great view and a science that you've been pursuing that I think is really going to help a lot of folks. Just before we kind of dive into your content a little bit, tell them a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how you got into this whole health psychologist field.
2: Well, I'm originally from just outside of Philadelphia in New Jersey. And I am a health psychologist. I trained as a scientist, like a mm-hmm. research psychologist, really interested in the mind-body connection. How do our emotions influence our immune system or our blood mm-hmm. pressure? And you know, how can we work with our minds to help our bodies be healthy and also just help us be more effective as human beings? And that has led me to some really interesting questions like how can we increase our willpower or how can we get better at dealing with stress?
1: I love your approach, and you kind of have a a bit of a paradigm shift for people because people spend most of their life trying to avoid stress. Stress Mm -hmm. is bad. Stress is the enemy. Stress is the devil. But you have a little different approach on stress. And you talked a little bit about your own shift. You had a shift in your view towards stress. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Sure. So like everyone else who has ever trained in psychology or medicine, I was taught that stress was the enemy and it increases your risk of everything you don't want, whether it's a common cold or a heart disease. And I thought that my mission was to go out and tell people to avoid stress or reduce stress. It just, it seemed logical, but I started to come across this really fascinating research almost a decade ago now, that suggested that trying to avoid stress might actually increase the negative effects of stress Hmm. and accepting or embracing stress can actually help you avoid some of those outcomes we don't want, like health problems, and also just make us happier and more effective at life. And at your event, I, I shared that one study that really blew my mind that followed 30,000 adults in the US for a decade and found that stress only seemed to increase the risk of dying among those people who had a very stressful life and really strongly believed that stress was bad for them. Hmm. And as soon as you take away that mindset, and you look at people who had very stressful lives, but did not strongly believe that stress was harmful. Next, year, were the most likely to be alive a decade later. And that was like a tipping point. And mm. there started to become published all of these studies suggesting that how you think about stress interacts with stress to predict outcomes that range from things like heart disease and whether or not you're still alive to things that we also care about, like whether you're able to find meaning in your life or whether you are able to really perform well under pressure so I shifted my approach to really trying to figure out, okay, if we're not supposed to avoid stress, how do we engage with the things that cause us stress so that we can be more skillful and that we can have a healthier response that lets us be our best selves and stop running or hiding from the things that cause us stress.
1: So talk a little bit about accepting and embracing stress. Give me a couple of tips on this because I've been a stress hound my whole life and I've failed at this. I've failed at trying to avoid stress. I failed at becoming an adrenaline junkie that kind of thrived on stress at all times. And again, this connection between the mind and the body and all that kind of good stuff. Give us some ideas on how to accept stress, how to embrace it. I
2: love that you mentioned these two, what you're viewing as failures. You know, they're just sort of iterations on your learning path. Yeah, right. How to get good at stress. But I love that you highlight because I think that people often feel like, there are only two ways to respond to stress. that yeah. You can fight or you can flee. Mm-hmm. So you can try to avoid whatever's causing you stress, the flight response, mm-hmm. or you can fight. You can become that adrenaline junkie and you yeah. can get, you know, like just super amped up, maybe aggressive. You're going to attack the stress. And what's really interesting about the new science of stress is we know that we have flexible stress responses. And what it really means to be good at stress is to be able to use our full repertoire of physiological responses that sometimes include like leaning into the adrenaline. So maybe it is about embracing your racing heart and trusting yourself to use the energy of stress and just go after what you want. Hmm. But that's not sustainable all the time. So you can't be an adrenaline junkie 100% of the time because stress isn't always about attacking it and killing it and winning it. We also know that part of being good at stress means leaning into your social relationships, Hmm. allowing your stress to motivate you to ask for help, to find other people who've been through the same thing you're going through now, so they can give you advice. Mm -hmm. Looking for other people who are in the same boat so that you can team up together and be stronger together. There's a whole biology of that too, that part of your stress response will release these hormones that nudge you towards connecting with other people. Mm -hmm. And those are just two examples, but that's really what we're talking about is listening to stress, rather than immediately feeling like you have to escape it Or shut it down, Mm -hmm. whether that's through something that we view as healthy like deep breathing or something that's maybe less healthy like using drugs or alcohol to try to completely suppress it and escape it. What I'm saying is you don't have to really do either of those. You don't have to go into a closet meditate and take deep breaths and you don't need to annihilate your consciousness in order to feel better that your brain and body have these different ways of responding to stress that can help you thrive and it can include using the adrenaline, but it can also include, you know, finding the people who care about you so that you aren't alone in the stress.
1: I wrote down when you were in San Diego this tend and befriend concept. Okay? I I love the idea of that. Maybe that would be a great thing to expand upon.
2: So that was the initial phrase that a scientist used to sort of contrast it with fight or flight. Mm -hmm. We all know you can fight or flight. That's a very sort of typical stress response. And tend and befriend is acknowledging that we also have a biology that will nudge us to take care of other people and look for the people who will take care of us. Mm. I started to call it a bigger than self-stress response because tendon Befriend can, I think some people hear that it feels very warm and fuzzy mm. and touchy-feely yeah. and it, it is that, but it's not only about like asking someone to give you a hug.
0: Yeah.
2: What this biology is really about is recognizing that sometimes you are in a situation where you cannot handle it alone. Right. It's too big, it's too much. But you can handle it and you can face it with the support of other people when you team up with others. So I like this idea of a bigger-than-self stress response, mm. where you stop trying to hide your stress from others, where you stop thinking that you're the only one, you alone can handle it. So good. Um, and look for your team, look for your allies, and have the courage to stand up for other people. So It's not just tending and befriending, it's also defending. It's defending who you care about and what you care about. and. Um, and feeling the the strength that comes from also being a collective, of finding that team or finding that group that will be able to face big stress together.
1: And sometimes that group can be connected to the concept. I mean, obviously, the 12-step groups and AA and so on and so forth are groups that have been around for a century, helping people through something like that, very challenging. But also, whether it's a dance class or whether it's people, you know, doing activities together, maybe... Uh, You know, I have a couple of guys that I go golfing with. Sometimes the golf just gets in the way. It's just great conversation. (laughs) And it's good to know I'm not losing my mind. You know, these guys all own businesses like I do. And I'm not the only one losing my mind. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is like a normal human experience. I always find like comedians that talk to couples. uh, You always see the couples, you know, elbowing each other. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And just it's good to know, hey, I'm not the only one.
2: It is. And actually, I love that you mentioned some of these more casual social relationships Mm -hmm. like golf buddies or people you might see in community groups that you're a part of. Because sometimes, you know, when we're really stressed out, we worry about being a burden on our loved ones. Or maybe, you know, in a workplace setting, there's some vulnerability around revealing every aspect of the stress in our lives. And it's so important to have different communities, different relationships where you can reveal all of your stress, but maybe you don't reveal all of your stress in every situation, in every moment. And some of these more casual relationships turn out to be very supportive when people are facing a health crisis or, you know, stress at work. It's so important, as you said, that that idea of I'm not alone or, you know, like that's so true. You know, one of the reasons that being more transparent about our stress with others is so helpful is it helps us recognize how common a lot of these situations are. Mm -hmm. I tell you, you know, I've given talks at places where I might be the first person to mention something like caregiver stress and the stress of taking care of a loved one who's right. sick or aging. And I've had people come up and say that, allowed them to have a conversation at the table where people they were working with were going through the exact same thing and they didn't know it
0: right. because
2: they thought they were the only one and so they were trying to cover it up right. and like not let it invade in the workplace or anything like that. And sometimes it's a huge act of generosity for us to be mm. just a little bit more open so that we can both find our allies and also give other people permission to be open and to feel less alone in
1: what they're going through. It's powerful stuff. There's nothing new under the sun, and there's nobody Mm -hmm. who's experiencing something that no one else has ever experienced. Uh, But somehow we feel like, you say, you have a caregiver. They feel like, I'm not supposed to be stressed by giving care. You know, I love to do this. It's my vocation. It might be my passion. It doesn't mean it's not stressful.
2: Exactly. You know, there's something so brilliant in what you just said that I want to really emphasize. Most of us have a story in our head that says this shouldn't be stressful for the very things that are most likely to cause stress. So Mm. let me just give you in the audience a definition of stress. Yeah. That stress is what arises in your mind and in your body when something that you care about is at stake,
0: Mm. whether
2: there's, you know, a competition you want to win or a conversation that really matters Mm. to you or a loved one who's sick. Stress is what arises when something that you care about is at stake. And so, of course, we have stress responses in every relationship that matters to us, every role that matters to us, every goal that matters to us. Um, When our values are challenged, it makes total sense we would have stress because those are the things that are meaningful, and that is why we have a stress response so that we we can respond in moments that matter. And I think it's such a shame that we've been convinced that if you're stressed out at work, it means you can't handle it. Hmm. Or it means that it's too much. Or if you're stressed in a relationship, it means you're a bad parent. You should you only feel the, right. the gratitude and the love. Yeah. That relationship should never be stressful.
1: But being a mom. Yeah, exactly. So many moms feel like they're failing because their kids stress them out.
2: Yeah, We know that becoming a parent actually changes the brain in ways that shape our stress response. It's so fascinating. It makes you both more sensitive to stress and also more courageous. It's like such a, a fine-tuning of the system, so you're mm. going to be worried more of the time, but you're also going to be much more willing to respond. Mm. Like you're going to step in and you're going to do what it takes, but you won't necessarily be like super calm and peaceful <laughs> about it. And that's, you know, that's what makes a good parent, and sometimes that's what makes a good leader as yeah. well. Right. That increased sensitivity is not necessarily weakness when it comes with the resources and the willingness to respond.
1: Do you think in any way one of the challenges we have with stress is, you know, we might handle it well and deal with it well, but we don't have a break or we don't have the intentional break, so we don't have a chance to kind of recoup, you know, recharge the bats and then be able to get under pressure again.
2: Yeah, exactly. So one of the things we know about the biology of stress is that recovery is an important part of the process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we often talk about stress hormones that give us energy like adrenaline or cortisol. We don't often talk about the stress hormones that come in to help us recover from it. We mm. have all these wonderful stress hormones that help repair the body, that help enhance the immune system, that help your brain actually learn from the stressful experience. You actually mm. release something called neurosteroids during a stress response that helps your brain learn and grow from the experience, even if the experience felt like a catastrophe while you were going through it. But we need that recovery time. Like that doesn't work if you're immediately plunged into the next crisis. Right or if you are trying to stay at full throttle 24 hours a day. And part of the stress recovery process happens when we sleep. And part of the stress recovery process also happens when we reflect on our experiences. Mm. So sometimes it's that moment where you can't fall asleep because you're replaying the conversation you had. or You're trying to figure out how you could have handled that situation better. Mm. So that's actually part of the stress recovery process and can feel like a real pain while it's happening because you want to just put it behind you. And that's another way that people can be good at stress is to actually, you know, surrender a little bit to the fact that if you went through something very stressful, your brain is going to try to learn from it. So to do it intentionally, like sit down, write about it, talk to someone about it, Hmm. reflect on it, and that'll help you recover more quickly and also help you learn from the experience so that you are stronger afterwards.
1: Here's a question. Maybe it's off the subject. Maybe it's not. But I'm curious, how do you get from stressed to stressed out? to dealing with anxiety, you know, where do you think that correlation all is?
2: So anxiety is actually a particular kind of flavor of stress. Anxiety is anticipatory stress. Mm. It's when you're having a stress response to try to prepare yourself to handle something that hasn't happened yet. So we know from the science that some anxiety can be helpful and some anxiety can be really paralyzing. Mm. So it's like you're practicing for stress. I think that, you know, what we have to do is find ways to practice that are skillful and then to shut it down when it is not skillful. So, mm-hmm. you know, for example, if you're anxious about something, you don't go online and Google horror stories about <laughs> whatever it is you're <laughs> anxious about. Right. It's like what a lot of people do. Yep. That's not skillful practicing. Skillful right. practicing might be make a list of your top three concerns, like things that might actually happen in this experience that would freak you out or stress you out okay. and what your strategy might be for each of those. You know, I talked with a coach for professional athletes who has them engage in mental imagery and rehearsal mm-hmm. and actually imagine themselves facing whatever might be most stressful. And in that moment to do it with that sense of, okay, I'm handling this. And what he's found from his research is whether or not anything goes wrong, those people perform better Because they were prepared for it, they imagined it, but they did it in a very controlled way. They didn't let it take over their mind so that, you know, they were spending 23 hours a day worrying about it. But I think it's also important to note that you can't, if that's part of your personality, you can't turn it off. And in the same way that, you know, we were saying it's not a good idea to try to recover from stress by annihilating your consciousness, you can't do that with anxiety either. Mm. So we need to learn ways to practice positive distraction, you know, to engage in activities or talking to other people that pull us out of the anxiety spiral that doesn't involve trying to basically go unconscious.
1: So what do you do to de-stress? What do you do to recover and reflect?
2: I think there are actually like three main ways I support myself. And they have to do with the three main ways that people can be good at stress. Okay. So one thing I do is exercise. And exercise has this amazing ability To both make your brain more stress resilient, it changes the structure and function of your brain so that you're better able to handle stressful situations, and it also makes you more comfortable with the physiological symptoms of stress, like your heart pounding or sweating or breathing faster. And for all of those reasons, people who exercise more seem to just be better at stress. They have healthier stress responses. They're better able to accept and then thrive in stressful situations. And I have to tell you, that's been so true for me. And it also brings joy and joy is one of those resources that you can't underestimate. Sometimes we think that preparing yourself for stress or recovering from stress requires being calm and sometimes just being unbelievably happy, yeah. <laughs> full of energy, yeah. excitement. That is as much of a resource as trying to go somewhere and calm down. So that's one thing I do the exercise is that's absolutely great. key. Also, you mentioned reflection. There are a couple of reflections that I try to do every day I start my day thinking about my intention and what's most important to me. And I sort of do like a fast forward. What do I know I need to do today? And can I think about how my values and my intentions could be expressed in those situations? So if I'm teaching a dance class today, like uh-huh. today I taught a dance class. And I was aware of the fact that one of our members is just entering radiation treatment for cancer. Mm. I felt like, how can we really include her and support her? And I just thought about how to design the class so that we all had a chance to dedicate a particular dance to someone we care about who needs help. And we finished the class in a circle and some people got together to send this woman flowers. And I feel like that's my value uh-huh. and that allowed me to take something stressful and connect it to a value. And the other thing that I do is at the end of the day, I try to reflect with gratitude mm-hmm. on whatever happened. And I think about sometimes it's really, it's almost kind of like a morbid thing. I think you know, today might have had some ups and downs, but what if I were at the end of my life and someone said, you could live this day again? Do you want it back? Yeah. And it's amazing how authentic that gratitude can be when you're like, mm. um, yes, yeah. I would take <laughs> this back, you know, in a heartbeat yeah. to get to be with the people I got to spend time with or do some of the things I did, even if the day had some stress in it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I do. And then the other thing that I do all the time is try to reflect on the meaning of the things that cause me stress. Mm. So to use that as sort of my touchstone, whether it's relationships or whether it's worrying about the state of the world, but to actually like let myself care.
1: I think the definition there is fantastic, right? The things you care about are at stake. So mm-hmm. it's a great way to view it that, okay, and I just can't obsess right i I care about the country, yeah. but I can't obsess about every right, story that comes out do right
2: no, and that it's not all mine, yeah, I can let myself care a little bit, but I don't have to take it all in, and I don't have to give my best energy towards outrage or fear uh-huh. that I actually can't have any impact on and that's the other thing you know being good at stress means you direct your energy toward the things you can have a real impact on. And sometimes I think we waste a lot of our best stress energy towards things that fill us with anger or fear, and then there's just nowhere for that energy to go. And that's when we look for a way to just shut it down.
1: Right. And, you know, we're all about mindset, motivation, and then methodology, which is get in the game. You know, many people act their life like they're a sports fan for everything. (laughs) And you're in the stands, and you're living and dying vicariously by what happens on the field. But you're really not in the game.
2: What's amazing is each one of us can make an incredible impact in our actual lives. We influence so many people every day through every interaction we have yeah. that we don't need to be on the sidelines watching other things and you know cheering or yelling. That we are doing it and living it. We just don't always know what an impact we're having.
1: Well, it's beautiful stuff. And I look at my notes here and I see relationships and recovery and reflection—all great mm-hmm. things that we can take a hold of here and do something with and embrace that reflection with meaning and gratitude, I mean, it's good stuff. And then you're combining several of these things now with your dance class. So you you got the exercise with the relationships, with the meaning, right? So it's it's I good know, stuff.
2: I, I often think of anything I've ever done in my professional life, it's leading these dance classes that is probably having the biggest impact.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. And all the work you've done at Stanford, again, for those who have not gotten a copy of The Upside of Stress, I highly recommend it. I'm also excited coming out next year you've got the joy of movement i'm very excited about that actually i just caught you on the today show here recently i know that was not so long ago so you're out there doing your thing making a difference and dancing your way to success i guess is what (laughs) what you're doing which is phenomenal stuff before i let you go here today i ask five questions to every guest we've ever had on we've had you name it we've had them who's who on this show
2: and the listeners should know i don't know what these questions are no i don't know do they know that you don't no. give people the questions no, in no I, I never
1: do and because of that we get some great answers and some spontaneous stuff so here you go okay what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten
2: oh the best piece of advice i've ever gotten was the title of a book i picked up when i was in college which was feel the fear and do it anyway
1: nice yeah who gave you that
2: I just saw the book. Okay. That's it. I don't even know if I read the book, but I got it.
1: But you got the concept. I got it. Yep, that's great. All right. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't?
2: I wish I could sing because Mm. I love music so much, and I have the worst pitch imaginable. (laughs) My life would be complete
0: if I could sing. Well,
1: you know, God always leaves something out just to make us humble. (laughs) That's great. So I was going to ask you what book has been most instrumental in your life, but it sounds like Feel the Fear is one of them. What what are the? You know,
2: another book I would mention is Post Secret. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if if everyone here has seen this book, but it's a wonderful book of compilations of secrets. Hmm. that people send in on postcards uh, that hmm. they've never been willing to tell anyone else. And wow. it really, you know, for me, when I first picked up that book, maybe 10 years ago, the first co- version of it, it reminded me how important it is for us to not be silent about the things that we might have some shame or regret around.
0: Hmm.
1: And
2: I would encourage people to pick up any version of this book. Again, it's called Post Secret. Love You'll it. be amazed at the secrets people are carrying. And something just, it's beautiful about the humanity of it.
1: Wow. I love this. I think I asked these five questions for me as much as anything else, Kelly. Okay, if there's a movie that's on, you cannot pass it by without stopping and watching at least a little piece of it. What's the one you've watched over and over again?
2: Karate Kid, the original.
1: Come on, tell me why.
2: I love it so much because it's about the value of a teacher. You know, I view myself as a teacher more than anything else of all the roles. Sure. So it's sort of like, It's a love story or a love letter to, you know, the impact a teacher can have on Mm -hmm. a student's life. I love the love story. I love the soundtrack. I hunted that soundtrack for years until they finally re-released it. Wow. You know, and you get to see someone work hard. Like, talk about a growth mindset. Yeah. Someone who works hard. The sequels ruin it, so don't watch the sequels. (laughs) No.
1: Sweep the leg. Sweep the leg. No, it's good. (laughs) Mr. Miyagi. You know, I had a Mr. Miyagi in my life in some regard. It was my grandfather. Oh, wow. When we were eight years of age, we went to the family business, was painting and decorating back in Ireland. And you went to his house for the summer. And it was literally wax on, wax off, (laughs) painting ladders, you know, cleaning brushes. A man of very few words who would just kind of point a cigar at what you were supposed to do. But yeah, when I see that movie, that's what comes to mind for me. Okay, last but not least, we've been featuring this year. We've been talking a lot about bucket lists. I actually got a chance to do something on my bucket list this week which might be the most fun thing I've ever done in my life, which was nothing about me. My brother-in-law, Keith, is a fanatical North Carolina fan. He wears North Carolina colors every day of his life, and yet he's never been on the campus and never been to a game. And it was interesting, because I've had all these great excursions and safaris and you name it, but I sent him and his bride, who's my wife's sister, Carolyn, to the Duke-North Carolina game, center court... Mm -hmm. 18,000 people going nuts. And I am getting these pictures throughout. And I was like, I wanted to bring it up because it's been the most fun bucket list item I've ever done. And I wasn't on it. So your bucket list, what's something that's on your bucket list yet to be done that you're looking forward to?
2: So I, I love that example. And I'm going to bravely give an example from my own life that is totally ridiculous. But I'm going to share it because I actually really encourage people to think about Idiosyncratic bucket list things rather than the thing everyone's, oh, I'm going to climb Mount Everest or whatever. Right. This summer, I am going to the Jazzercise 50th year celebration. It's been around for 50 years. And I started my career in fitness and dance by doing Jazzercise videos in my living room as a kid that my mom had brought home from garage sales. <laughs> that put the love of dance and fitness in my heart, you know, back in the early 80s. And uh, I heard about this, you know, I don't do jazzercise anymore, but I heard about this convention and that the founder who was on all those those videotapes I did, you know, when I was a kid How great. Three years ago. So I'm going to get to take a class with her.
1: So from jazzercise to PhD to Stanford to the Today yeah. show all the way in there. You're living yeah. the good life and I think that's going to be <laughs> such a, an awakening of your childhood memories and and then exactly. what, and what yeah. you're doing today and what you're yeah. doing today. Yeah. So fantastic. We just can't appreciate you enough. I really love the spirit of what you bring. I love the message of what you bring. I think it brings hope to people. And I think it's meaningful and tangible and doable. It's not out of a bottle. It's not out of a medication. And so you're the doctor that's given the great prescription here for stress. And I I greatly appreciate it. I think focusing on our relationships, our recovery and reflection, mixed in with a bit of exercise, (laughs) changing our view to how we view stress that it's not our enemy, it can actually be our greatest friend. I think you're doing a lot of great work for this world. And uh, can thank you enough for being on our show today. Best of luck to you. I know you were just at a conference I was at the other day too. So we're going to continue to <laughs> refer you to all of our great relationships because you do such a great job. So thanks for being on the show with us today, Kelly. Appreciate it.
0: Great. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
1: I'm going to throw our podcast over to a man that I've caused a lot of stress to over the years. And as he reflects on that stress... I hope he recovers from that stress and maybe he can even bring meaning to that stress. So let's throw it over to our producer, Mr. David Lally. The stress production has been mutually beneficial, boss. I'd hate to leave you stress-free, of course. Kelly, so great to have you on the show today. The content was phenomenal and I hope you guys listened to it many times. For those of you who have not yet seen her TED Talk, How to Make Stress Your Friend, it's been viewed more than 19 million times, so go check that out. Before I leave you today, I wanted to share a quick note from one of our listeners who left a review on iTunes. Don't be afraid to head over and leave us a message there. Maybe we'll read yours out too. Jay Moran, I just listened to the budgeting and brain episodes
0: and I was blown away. Thank you for the great content. Your show never fails to entertain and teach. I appreciate the show so much. Well, we appreciate you. Thanks for the kind words, Jay. And for some kind words from Ireland, here's Therese Buffini. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.